I want to know who in here has a job, like a real job. Who has a real job in here? Okay, all right. Where are my Chick-fil-A people at? My Chick-fil-A people here? Yeah. It's like half the population here in True North, Chick-fil-A. You either, like, have worked at Chick-fil-A or currently work. Where are my facilities people at? A lot of, oh, yeah. That's right. My most vocal contingent. People who maybe, like, work for their parents' organization, maybe their parents' business. That's right. Maybe do people who just work in the summertime, some people who just work in the summertime. Yeah, well, if you can get a job, I would suggest you should get a job. And I would suggest you get one soon, because when you work at a job, you make money. It's always a good thing. It's kind of nice that you actually get to, you know, make money when you work at a job, because not every job makes money. You know that? There are some people who work at jobs who don't make much of anything or make a very, very small amount of money. There's a whole group of those people that have existed throughout human history. In fact, uh, some estimates today according to a 2021 study, said that 50 million people in our world today currently work and don't get paid, that they're forced into some kind of work situation and they don't get any paychecks. Um, Seriously, they're considered modern-day slaves. There's about 50 million people today, um, it's estimated, that are modern-day slaves. Now, I want to tell you that although sometimes we often think that slavery is something that has gone away, it's not something that's completely gone away. In fact, slavery is alive and well today in many uh, parts of the world, and even some in America today. There are still um, people who are illegally held as slaves. Now, you might know that in Bible times, there were a lot of slaves, more slaves than there are today. In fact, it's estimated that there were, at the time of the writing of the New Testament, about one-third, one-third of the people who lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. They were working, not getting the same kind of paycheck. It wasn't a free operation. They were indebted to somebody, or they worked for a, a big corporation. It wasn't called a corporation back then, but a big organization where the master was really in charge and could say where they went and where they couldn't go. One-third of the people. And... Uh, there's a principle that maybe you've thought of, maybe you haven't, but in the early church, most of the people who became Christians, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, were not the wise or the powerful or the educated. It seems like in the early church, most of the people that came to faith in Christ were of the lower classes, at least at the beginning. It kind of spread to all the classes, and there are people who are slaves who were Christians in the first century, and there are people who were masters in the first century. In fact, one of the people who's a master who owned slaves is a guy named Philemon. You've got a book in your Bible named after him because Paul wrote a letter to him, and he was a Christian. And the situation of slavery was a lot different back then, which is why if you open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to talk about slavery and work and masters, and all of it's a little bit confusing to us because we come from a very different time and a very different culture. And when you think of the word slave, and even the way I described it in modern day, there are 50 million slaves today, and they were illegally kept as slaves today, right? Um, If there's any slaves in the United States, that's against the law, okay? It's wrong and it shouldn't be going on. In Rome, it was not against the law. In fact, uh, it was part of their society, so much so that if, let's just say in the first century, slavery was completely abolished, right? Let's say the Roman emperor said, you know what, we're done with this, we're just going to abolish it. If he were to have done that, the entire economy would have collapsed, like the entire thing. It wouldn't have even functioned. So this was so built in to their culture and the culture of the Bible that we need to understand what's being said. So this 
book of Ephesians, all that about work and slavery. The reason I'm prefacing this sermon with that is because Paul has been addressing different groups in the church. The first group was the wives, right? Then he talked to the husbands. Then he talked to the kids. Then he talked to the fathers, right? The parents. And then in verse number five of Ephesians six, I hope you already turned there, but look at verse number five. Look who he's going to talk to next. This group in the household, or maybe they had a Christians who were the, the masters and slaves. First word there says bondservants. Can you follow? There, there should be a footnote right at the top right of that word. Mine in my Bible says two. Maybe yours is one or three or something like that. Follow it down to the bottom of your page. And let's read the footnote. The ESV actually provides these footnotes. Here's what the ESV footnote says. For the contextual rendering of the Greek word doulos. Okay, so the word bondservant is the Greek word doulos. And it says, see the preface. Also, verse 6, likewise, for bondservant in verse 8. So this word bondservant comes up a few times, and the people who translated this Bible, the ESV, want to just tell you, hey, you should read the preface of our Bible, which is very interesting. And nobody reads the preface, of a, a translator's preface, right? But it's really important at the beginning. I don't know if you ever read it. In basically almost any ESV that you've got, there's like a page or two that explains the reasons why they do things. There's one word that is so controversial among scholars in the New Testament, that people like the translators of the ESV are afraid to give the right translation. And they even say it. Like at the beginning in your preface, if you ever read it, they're like, hey, we know this word means slave, but we're going to translate it bondservant because we think the word slave gives people in America, in the West, the wrong impression of who these people were. Okay? So what does the word mean? Does it mean bondservant? No. Right? If you've got a Bible that's yours, maybe cross out that word and write slave, okay? Because the word bondservant does not mean bondservant. It means slave. And actually, by the way, what does a bondservant mean? That's just another way of saying a slave. A servant who is bonded and has to serve. That's called a slave, okay? So it's just a fancy word they use because they don't want you to come up with images of American racial slavery, which was very, very different. And I understand why they did that, but what does this word mean? It means slave. What is the word? Okay, it means slave. You already know that. Okay. He's talking to slaves, Christian slaves. It's a weird thought, right? I've never addressed a group of Christian slaves because it's not built into our society or economy like it was back then. But he says, hey, Christian slaves, uh, fight against your masters and try to free yourselves. You see where it says that? Christian slaves, break free. Get free. He doesn't say that. It's interesting. He says, slaves, obey. That's the same word he used. To kids, obey your parents. Now he's saying, slaves, obey your earthly masters. The word earthly is not the word earthly. Um, the word earth, there's a word for that in Greek, or there's a word for world, uh, cosmos. This is not that word. This word is the word flesh. You could better translate that, your fleshly masters. There's a reason why. He says, you've got fleshly masters. If you're a slave and you're a Christian, you've got a fleshly master who's got skin and bone and who lives in some house He's, your, he's your, really your master, but he's only your fleshly master. By the way, the word master is the same word that if you drop down and you see the word Lord, same exact word, kurios, uh, Lord. So here's something that we don't often think of. The word Lord that we call Jesus the Lord, do you know what that means? Master. It's the same exact word. So they're translating it different, and again, I think, he did this because they want you to see, okay, now we're talking about human masters versus the Lord Jesus, but in the original language, it's the same word. So here's what he's trying to say. If you're a slave and you're a Christian, guess what? You've got an earthly master 
who you do need to obey, but remember, he's only your earthly master. He'll only be your master for this long. He's not your eternal master. He's not your master Jesus. He's just your master for a little bit, your earthly masters. How do you do it? Well, with fear and trembling. That means that the way that you go about serving whoever you're under authority in is with an attitude of genuine respect, right? Fear and trembling. That doesn't mean always be shaking and afraid. Oh, I'm afraid what's going to happen. Fear and trembling is the same phrase if you know your Bible. It's used in Philippians 2 to say you should work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The idea is you should have a proper respect for what's going on here. And that passage, he's saying, hey, if you're a Christian, just know how serious it is that you're a Christian. Here he's saying, hey, you're a slave, just know how serious this is. You have a real responsibility to obey your master. And, and before we go any further, that to some of you sounds really weird. You'd say, why is Paul not saying free the slaves, right? Well, don't you think that's like what Paul would be saying? Well, some things that you need to know about Roman slavery that was a little different than the American slavery or the, you know, really the African slave trade. Here's some differences, okay? This comes from a, a very smart guy named Dr. Clint Arnold. Uh, he's a professor at Biola. He's written a lot of commentaries, but he gave five characteristics of Roman-era slavery that are a little different, okay? I just want to give this to you. I'm quoting verbatim from him, okay? Here's what he says. First of all, one, racial factors played no role. Very important, very different. The Romans didn't say, you look different than me. Now you're going to be a slave. It's not how it worked. They were slaves that looked like every different kind. They were people who were masters of every different race or ethnicity. So there's no racial factors in this Roman slavery. Also, number two, many slaves could reasonably expect to be emancipated during their lifetime. So there's actually Caesar Augustus, one of the Roman uh, emperors, actually made a rule because too many slaves were going, uh, being emancipated that he put a cap on it. And the way that it worked was uh, by age 30, most slaves were free. So think about this. The arrangement here was like, okay, let's say you're 16 or 17 and you want a job. It's like, okay, I'm going to choose. I'm going to put myself willfully in this slavery system. That was one way that people did it so that they could work, so they could have a place to live, they could have food provided for them, and then they'd be out at some point. So slaves could make money. Slaves could have their own money. It was very different than American slavery. Number three was slave, many slaves worked in a variety of specialized and responsible positions. So like if you imagined a big house and the butler and uh, the, pe the person who's the cook and buying all the food, in a Roman era situation, those people are very high up in the house, they're all still slaves. And a lot of them will go free. And a lot of them will choose to stay there because that's their position, their, their job. They, they like that. Okay, so this was something that was going on that's very different than American slavery. Also, number four, many slaves received education and training in specialist skills. So doctors were slaves, right? Imagine this, right? Big compound, big household, you know, very important master, right? He's going to hire doctors and physicians and architects and say, you're going to be my, you're going to, okay, you want to be my slave? Great. I'll put you up. I'll pay for your living. You can't go and work for someone else, though. You are bound to me, right? But I'll provide for you, protect you, you're part of my household, okay? Just very different than the way we do work today, right? I prefer our system, right? Rather than this, I think you do too, right? Imagine if you work for Chick-fil-A, and it was like, you're here till you're 30, right? That wouldn't, you know, maybe some of you want to be in Chick-fil-A till you're 30, but like, some of you don't want that situation, right? So, this was a big deal 
And his point is to these people who were slaves of these masters, he says, look, you've got to do what they say. They are your earthly masters. Um, and lastly, number five, very interesting, uh, freed slaves often became Roman citizens, which is an elevated status, and uh, developed a client relationship with their former masters, which meant if you were a doctor and you were a slave, let's say until age 30, if you liked your situation, you might now go free, buy your own house, do your own thing, but then you still work for that master in more of a client situation. Like, you can work for other people, but you also work for your master. Okay, do you see how different that is than um, kidnapping, enslaving, uh, beating? It's just a very different situation than African slavery in our country, okay? So, it's a totally different situation. Very important for you to know, because um, that would very easily be condemned. In fact, um, you see it in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 21, uh, verse 16, which is right between two sections about how you should treat your parents, Right in between that, he says, if you steal a man and enslave him, you are to be put to death. So like God gives the death penalty for going, capturing someone, making them your slave. God says that is worthy of death, right? So anyway, if that um, helps any of you think this through, I hope it does. Anyway, back to the text. He says, bondservants, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So he says, I want you to imagine if you're a worker, whoever's above you in authority, imagine Jesus is telling you what to do. How would you obey Jesus? That's how you should obey as a slave. He says, not by way of eye service, which is a word that Paul made up. Eye service. You don't find that anywhere else. Paul made that word up. It's in here, and it's in Colossians 3.22, which basically means you can kind of imagine, right? You're doing the work, but only for the eye. Like, uh, you know when you clean your room, and, uh, you know, your parents say, hey, is your room clean? Like, yeah, it's clean. And you take all your stuff and you just shove it in the uh, closet, right? And it's just, it all fits. So you close it up and guess what? Looks good. Did you clean your room, right? Sort of, right? But you didn't really clean your room. You just took everything and hid it so that if your authority figure walks in, it passes the eye service test, right? He says, if you're a servant, if you're a slave, if you're a worker, if someone's telling you, hey, this is the job, this is the assignment, do it. Don't work just for the eye service, just for, you know, kind of making it look okay. He says, not as people pleasers. Your ultimate object in your work, whether you're a student, whether you're an employee, whether you're a boss, whether you're a slave, whether you're a master, it shouldn't be to please people around you. It should be as bond servants of Christ, slaves of Christ. Because remember that, if you're a person here who calls Jesus Lord, do you know what that means? If you call anyone Lord, what are you calling yourself? Slave. You realize if it, when we say you call Jesus Lord, do you know it's built in the other side of calling Jesus Lord? You're saying I'm his slave. That's why if we use the word master, right? I'm calling Jesus my master. That even sounds a little bit weird. Like, oh, does that mean I'm a slave of him? Yeah. It's exactly what it means. It's all over the New Testament. Paul calls himself a slave at the beginning of the book of Romans, at the beginning of the book of Philippians, the beginning of the book of Galatians. He's always calling himself a doulos of Christ. And you know those famous uh, stories that Jesus tells about a master who goes away and servants, this is like Matthew 25, where he says, you know, the servants had to be in charge of the house while the master was gone. And the master of the house comes back. Have you ever thought about what he's saying here? He's the master and when the master says, well done, good and faithful servants, is usually how it's translated, you know what the real word is? Same one, doulos, slave. Even when we talk about going to heaven, we say Jesus is going to you know, tell those of us who are in Christ, well done, good and faithful slave. Like That's what he's going to say because he's our master. 
We, we sing about Jesus as our Lord. I don't know if we always think the other side of that is we are saying, I am a slave of Christ. Most people don't think that way. But that's how he says, think that way. We are slaves of Christ. He says, and we're doing the will of God from the heart. We shouldn't just be people who work just to get it done, but we should do what God wants us to do from our hearts. Rendering service with a good will, right? An attitude, that's good. As to the Lord, as to the master. So even the wordplay there, he says, hey, obey your masters as to the master. Obey your fleshly lords as to the Lord. Talking about Jesus. Knowing that whatever, any, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, Jesus. Whether he's a bondservant or he's free. It doesn't matter what your job is. You work. Right? Remember, if you're a slave of Christ, Jesus, your Lord, is watching. And he's the one that will reward regardless if your fleshly master ever rewards or ever acknowledges. And for you as a high school student, whether your teachers or your parents or your coaches or your bosses, whether they acknowledge any of it, he says, Jesus knows, he sees, and he will reward because you're his servant and he's your Lord. Whether you're bond or free, thankfully you're free. Verse 9, he talks to the other group, masters, which is literally the word Lord. So he says, all right, lords, let's talk. Um, do the same to them. What? Do, do what? What's the same? Let me read that again. Obey earthly masters with fear and trembling. Sincere heart as you would Christ. Uh, what do you mean do the same to them? I'm their master. Does that mean I serve them like they serve me? Does that mean you know, I clean the toilets and they switch positions? I don't think that's what he's saying. Right? But the whole passage is saying treat them well. Treat them as though Christ were telling you what to do. I mean, maybe think about that inversely. Imagine you're a master and you've got a slave and imagine, imagine now Jesus is in that position. How would you bosh Jesus around? How would you, would you threaten? No. Look what he says. Stop your threatening. These bosses, you know, had a, an ego problem. As, as, as you would too, by the way, if you were in a position where you could just boss people around and tell them what to do and they had no choice. You'd probably develop an ego problem too. So he says, don't threaten don't boss them around. Don't abuse your authority. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. The real Lord for these Christian masters and these Christian slaves. Remember, this is all just temporary. Think about in eternity. Will there be like masters and lords in eternity? And slaves and servants? No, there won't be that. There will be one master and lord. And there will be a lot of servants, all of us. So he says, just remember, your situation is temporary. So you make sure if you're the boss, you don't treat the people under you like they are beneath you. He says, don't do that. Stop your threatening. He who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He's not here. He's watching, though, from heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Partiality means where, um, it literally means like seeing the face, which that doesn't make any sense, right? What does it mean to see the face? Well, if I was to give a judgment, let's say I'm a judge, right? And I have a dispute between this person and that person. If this person walks into my courtroom and they're dressed all nice and they look rich and well off and this person comes in and they're not dressed nice and they're not from the right part of town and all that and they come in, who am I immediately thinking is, oh, well, they're probably right and oh, they're probably wrong. He says with God, there's no partiality. It's not like he's seen the face, like a judge would see the face and change his mind. God doesn't do that. God doesn't care if you're a slave or if you're a master. He will judge perfectly justly. There's no partiality with him. That's a helpful reminder. 
in all of this. Think about it. We've just talked about slaves and servants, and okay, how do we fit into this? Well, I want to tell you, you don't really fit into this paradigm as well as some of you think. You're like, oh, it's like bosses and employees. Kind of, except it's very different because their temptations were different than yours. Some of them are similar and overlapping, but it's not the same. In fact, most scholars look at one relationship that still exists today and says that's very similar to ancient slavery. And it's, it's, this kind of might surprise you, it's you entering the military. If you're to enter the military, now you're willfully entering something where now you have someone who has legal jurisdiction over you. You can't quit. It's against the law for you to quit. You run away, you desert, that's against the law. Right? So now you're willfully entering a situation that can be mutually beneficial, right? which is why a lot of people join the military. It's a good thing. right? It can be a great thing, even for you. It could advance you, just like it could to be someone's slave. Right? But you're entering something where someone who's over you and your authority, whether you like them or not, they have the authority. You obey them. Right? That's why if you're like a, you know, in the military, if you're a Marine or something, you look at this and I say, hey, this is directly applying to your situation. Obey your fleshly masters. You know Jesus is your real master. He's really your commander-in-chief. You've got earthly ones. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But remember, you're in a situation where you're bound by law to obey. So you've got to obey and do it with a good heart. Even though your masters and the people in charge of you aren't always good, respect them. Have this authority figure in mind. That's really a better um, connection. But anyway, that's, that's kind of an aside. But for you, I want to say, how can you as a high school student learn from this passage? Where Paul talks to these um, Christian slaves and these Christian masters. Well, I think one thing it teaches us is it gives us categories. And that's why you've got two points today. And then you've got commands underneath, right? The first section we're going to talk about is imagine you are under authority. So when you're under authority, that's point number one. When you work under authority, just like these slaves did, because there is a connection. All of you are working under others' authority at school, at home, um, at your workplace. Even we could consider your sports team. You're working under authority. You've got people who can tell you what to do, and they do have real authority, and they should. When you work under authority, here's some helpful commands that I want you to take away from this. First of all, letter A, this is the first real command. I want you to realize that Jesus is really your boss. That comes from that first part where he says, obey your earthly or your fleshly masters. But you really got a real master who's in heaven, who's watching. Remember, all the time, whenever you're working, Jesus is really your boss. And I want you to think like Jesus is your boss. Imagine Jesus is the one saying, hey, I know we got to the end of class on Friday, but actually I need to assign something else to you for your physics class. So you're going to have another assignment. Sorry. How do you respond to Jesus when he tells you that? How do you complain about Jesus when he says that? What kind of attitude do you bring? Like, that's really hard. When you are working at a job and your boss says, actually, I need you to stay late or actually, I need you to do this thing and I know it's hard and maybe you're not even going to get paid for, for doing someone else's job, but like, hey, it's really what we need. I need you to do it. Do it. Well, if Jesus told you to do that, how would you respond? How would you think? And I know it's hard because you're like, well, Jesus would only tell me to do perfect things. I know. That's why. These slaves can look at their masters and say they fall short in this area, this area, this area. Some of them had non-Christian owners, obviously, right? Uh, But we can imagine here that maybe the situation he's talking to, you've got Christian slave and Christian master, right? You got both, which would maybe be a little easier to work for, right? I don't know about you, but if you're working for a Christian versus a non-Christian, it might be a little easier, which, you know, there's a text in the New Testament we'll talk about later. For some people, it's actually harder. We'll get to that later. But remember... That multiple times here he says, think about Jesus as your boss. 
can that change your perspective about your teachers and your coaches and the people that you complain about and the authority figures that you always are like, oh, I don't like them, I don't like them? Well, um, remember, authority is not uh, accidental or um, like it just happened that way. All authority you have is established by God. Like, if you're in a situation where someone's over you in authority, it was not an accident. God put you there. God put that person in your life to have that authority, whether they use it well or even misuse it. Just like all of them, they could say, well, we're in an evil nation like, like Rome, and the emperors are evil. You know what it says constantly over and over again in the New Testament? God put them there. God put them there. God even put your government officials over you, whether they're good or bad. First Peter 2, honor them. Give honor to the emperor, who's very dishonorable. Honor him. Like, we can flesh out all what that means, but I just want you to think all your authorities are instituted by God, and I want you to say we need to act like, okay, if Jesus is really my boss, that changes the way we look at this. Secondly, he says, do with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. Here's how I put it. Let it be. I want you to have a sincerely good attitude towards your authorities. Have a sincerely good attitude towards them. Not just a fake smile, right? which, by the way, was super, super common. So like, Back when you're, uh, in those days, if you were a slave, and this is, this, there's parallels in modern day that I thought of, one in particular, but you would oftentimes say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and then you turn around and you and all the servants would complain about the master or the mistress, right? It's very similar if you work in the, the food industry. Right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about if you work in the food industry, uh, where it's not exactly the same, so it's a little bit of a stretch, but really the customer is kind of like the boss, right? Not in every transaction, but that's kind of how you're trained to think, right? Like, we're going to give the customer what they want, and we want to please the customer, right? That's what your bosses will say. Uh, how often in restaurant service or fast food service do you say, nice smiling face, nice smiling face, you turn around and you just, I can't believe that person. That's what slaves did all the time. In fact, there was a heightened... Um, temptation for slaves, because remember, slaves were educated. A lot of slaves were well-trained. I want you to imagine this. A lot of slaves were a lot smarter than their masters. Uh, it's it's kind of like this. If you imagine the, 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 the private pilot who flies the celebrities around, right? You know, all these celebrities fly to Coachella, or they fly to all these different places, right? Who do you think is smarter, Right? The, uh, the Instagram model or like the pilot who, you know, was in the Air Force and like ha has all these hours. You know, when he's sitting there flying the plane and it's just like talk, 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 talk behind him, right? I just want you to imagine what that would be like. Like, oh my goodness, like he has so much like this person is so dumb, right? And they probably talk with the, you know, the, the stewardess or whatever, like, Can you, are you hearing what they're saying? How stupid, right? And just bagging on how dumb they are. But the reality is, in that employment situation, who's the authority? It's the customer, right? Um, so here's what I'd argue based on this text. Hey, if you're a pilot, if you ever find yourself as a pilot flying dumb people around on a plane, um, be careful before you uh, just start blasting how dumb they are and complaining about them. He's given you that situation. They are your authority, even though it's not slave and master. I know it's different, right? But you see how even in our modern times, we have temptations to be yes men to the people we work for and then turn around and complain about them. Slaves did that a lot. The passage I was referencing was when Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 1. He says, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. And there's a reason. 
so that the name of God and the teaching of God may not be reviled. Because if you as a slave, you're smarter than your master, they're ditzy, they're stupid, their kids are like idiots, right? You could imagine the old situation, right? These doctors and these architects are sitting there thinking, I can't believe, the kid told me to go get him some grapes. Like, yeah, okay, you go tell him to go get grapes. Like, you could imagine the banter. It's like, uh, you know, what's the show? uh, What's that show? Where all the, like, English. um, Yeah, 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 yeah. Never watched it. Thanks, Anthony. It's my pop culture icon right there, Anthony Kim. Uh, But, you know, isn't that show, from my understanding, I've never seen it, but it's like built on um, all the servants just like complaining. Is that what the show is? Anybody who knows? Anthony? Oh, right, right. Uh. Okay. Uh, but you can imagine, right? These servants are just bickering. Right? Uh, he says, make sure that you don't do that because if you're a Christian and they know you're a Christian, right, which they probably do, uh, you can bring a bad name to Christ by being a bad employee or a bad worker. I'd say, that's very true of you. Your employers, they know you're a Christian, right? They know you go to church, then your parents are Christians, whatever. Okay, whatever your situation is, you bring a very, it's easy for you to bring a bad name on Christ by being a bad worker at work. Being a bad athlete on your sports team, being the lazy one, being the one that always shows up late, being the bad student. You bring a bad name on Christ, just like these slaves could. And then he says, Those who have believing masters, so let's say your master is a Christian, must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit of their good service are believers and beloved by God. Okay, so here's a threat for those of you who work at facilities. Okay, those of you who work for the church, or you've got Christians that are your bosses, don't you dare work worse for them because they're Christians and you know they'll forgive you and they'll understand and they're your brothers. Don't work worse for them. He says work all the better because the people who receive the benefit are believers and beloved by God. Like if your boss, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but if your boss is someone who Jesus died for and is a son or daughter of God and God highly values them, how should you work for them? That's his whole point. Work all the better for them. One commentary said that, uh, there were probably situations because most of the slaves probably became Christians early on and maybe their masters joined later where um, slaves might have been deacons or elders in the church. So teachers. And their masters may have gotten saved and they're sitting under the tutelage of their slave. Very easy. If you're like a teacher in the church and your master is the one taking notes about what does Isaiah say? I'm a Gentile, I never understood the Old Testament, and you're explaining it to them. Very easy for you to build the wrong power dynamic, take that back to work, and be disrespectful to your master because you're teaching him the Bible. That might have been happening in these churches. So he says, make sure that you don't disrespect them because of that. The next thing he says, don't be people pleasers or eye service. Talking about work, uh, letter C, I don't want you to do the bare minimum. Stop doing the bare minimum just to be seen. That's the way I put it. That's the concept of being a people pleaser or eye service. Don't just do the bare minimum and be a flatterer and just be like, okay, yeah, I did what you wanted when you know you didn't do what was required. Don't do the bare minimum just to be seen. When you work in the food industry and you plaster a smile on your face then you turn around and complain about your customer or your, your, your customer to your coworkers, don't do that. When you say yes, sir, to your coaches, 
then grumble about your coach with your teammates. Don't do that. When you're working at home on homework and your parents pass your room and all of a sudden, boom, homework is happening. When before it was Instagram was happening. Now it's, oh, yeah, I'm dog, yep, right, yep, doing it, doing it. And then they leave. Did the door shut? Did they? Okay, they left. Boom, back to whatever you were doing before. That's exactly what he's talking about. Don't work by way of eye service only to be seen. Some people put it like, uh, you're only as good of a worker as you are when nobody's watching you. Kind of the concept here, right? Uh, because, by the way, there's never, have you know, you know this? It's Bible truth. Do you know this? That there's never a time when no one's watching you. There's never a time where Jesus, our master, who is in heaven, is not totally aware of everything we're doing. That's why if we lived with more of the fear of God, we'd make better decisions and we'd avoid more sin. If we thought God is here, God is what, Jesus is sitting in the chair next to me. So, you know, when I want to hide what's on my screen from my parents or something, well, well he's right there. So uh, that kind of shapes the way we, we do all this. Don't just do the bare minimum. So with your work, make sure not to do that. By the way, um, Paul talked about this again in the book of Titus. So slaves, remember, one third of the population. Let's say half of the Christians in the church were slaves. One half. That could be the case. Probably likely that was the case. He says, hey, slaves, this is Titus 2.9. Be submissive to your own masters and everything. Make sure, tells Titus, that they're well-pleasing, not argumentative. Some of you are argumentative, right? You might do what your parents want or your teachers want, but you argue it all the way. But do I have to, but can it be this? Can I do it? But I, I really don't want to do it the way that you, don't be argumentative. And also, not pilfering. You know what pilfering means? I mean, stealing. I mean, stealing from your master. Again, Different temptation, but imagine you work for a big company, like some of you will work for um, big companies, and there's advantages that you could take from your company that are not allowed, and you've got access to the credit card. And now you can go swipe it, and you can do dinners, and you can pretend like they're for work, but they're not for work. Or you could go and go on trips that you pretend are for work, but they're not really for work. Right? And those of you who you know, work at Chick-fil-A, you work at McDonald's, and you have more food than you're allowed to have, and you're kind of hiding it because you, know, you have access to some goods, but you're taking them. Slaves could do that all the time. Their masters aren't in the room. There's no way to keep track of it in a perfect way. And even if they do it, you know, the master doesn't know who's stealing what, and it's probably too much work to even you know, figure it out. Pilfering happened all the time. So he says, if you're a Christian worker, don't pilfer. Don't steal from your employer. But showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What that means is, adorn means to dress up. It's like what you do to a Christmas tree. When you put ornaments or lights or tinsel on a Christmas tree, you're adorning a tree, a Christmas tree. He says, what you do when you're a good worker is it's like you're putting shiny things, right, nice things, pleasant things on the doctrines of God that your bosses probably don't like all that much. Most of your bosses are non-Christians, right? Most of them are. Um, they don't like the gospel, they're probably, you invite them, hey, have you ever gone to church? No, I hate church. Church is all blah, blah, blah. You be a good worker for a year, you've just put and dressed up the doctrines of God in such a way that you might be someone who can bring them now to Christ because like, well, you're a different worker. I've hired, you know, I've hired a dozen high school students in the last year and you're different. You've adorned the, the doctrines of God. You're the one person on your sports team. You're the one person in your class who doesn't cheat. And your teacher knows that. You are adorning the doctrine of God. What's the doctrine of God? The gospel, the truth about God, 
the truth that Jesus can save us from our sins, you're like making it look better by your work. I want to encourage you to do that. But you can't do that by doing the bare minimum, right? Letter D from verse 8, where it says, remember Jesus is our master and he's going to pay us back. Remember Jesus will reward you for your work. That's letter D. Remember Jesus will reward you for your work. Here he says he'll reward you for the good that you do. Some of us only think about Jesus saying, you did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Well, the Bible actually teaches both sides of that, that as a Christian, you'll stand before God, he'll evaluate your life, and he'll say, good for doing this, not good for doing this. Rewards for this, suffering loss for doing this, or neglecting something else. Here's how it's put. Write this passage down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. This is very good. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 says, So whether we are at home with God or away here on this earth, we make it our aim to please him, that's Jesus. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Right? You're going to be evaluated for how good of a high school student you were. You're going to be evaluated how good of a Chick-fil-A worker you were. You're going to be evaluated how, for how good of um, a secretary you are working at your parents' company. You're going to be evaluated by Jesus, the Lord, who cares about everything you do. And, and there's going to come a day where we'll stand and give an account. And I mean, I don't know if it's all chronological, right? We'll probably take it back to the beginning, right, of your life in Christ. And then you're, you're, you're giving account. To Jesus, okay, yeah, I, I wanted to serve this boss, and this boss is really hard, but you know that, um, and, and this is how I served him, and uh, I, I should have done this better, and I, I failed at this, and Jesus knows all the sacrifices. He says, I took, I took account of it. I'm going to give you good for the good that you've done. Some of you think that eternal rewards are only related to spiritual activities. This text says, mm, more than that, I mean, you're, you're a good athlete on your team, and you work hard, not for yourself, but for God, to adorn the doctrine of God, you get rewarded for that. Rewarded for running another lap? Yeah. Good attitude? Do it for God? Yeah, I think so. You get rewarded for writing a paper about, you know, to kill a mockingbird? Like, I, really? Like, that just seems kind of a stretch. Okay, well, I guess it depends how you do it. You do it to adorn the doctrine of God? You do it well? Do it as hard as you can? Best you can with the time that God's given you? I think so. That's what he's saying. The slaves who would clean the filth of these toilets or wash their master's feet. The idea is Jesus is watching and he will reward for the good that you do. That's true. Not just for the, for the spiritual activities. Not just for, you know, how passionate you were singing a worship song. It's more than that. It's for everyday things that we do in life. He knows he's watching and he will judge. Okay. Now, I want you to take that same picture. Jesus knows he's watching and he will judge. Now, let's shift from the slave and think about those three truths from the, from the master's side. Jesus knows. Jesus is watching you, masters, and Jesus will judge. That same truth. I think that's why he says, masters, do the same to them. Have the same good attitude. Have the same um, care and love for these people. Do the same for them. Don't, don't misuse the authority God's given you. So, point number two is when you work as the authority. So some of you work under authority. Others of you work as the authority. Right? And by the way, if you work as the authority, you probably do both of these. 
right? I don't know many people who have no authorities. In fact, um, even if you own your own business, you still got to do these things called paying taxes, and you can't drive your car as fast as you want because there's all these laws and all these authorities. And, oh, great, you went from renting a house to owning a house. That's so cool. So, like, you just own it, right? And you don't have any payments, right? Well, oh, no, I got to have all this stuff I got to pay. Oh, but, like, what if you, you know, paid off your mortgage? Like, you don't have to pay taxes anymore on it, right? Because it's yours. Uh, Well, I kind of have to still do that, right? So we all are under authority, right? Even if you become an authority one day, and a lot of you will, right? And I say this because many of you will be bosses. In fact, I say all of you are going to have some level of authority one day, so this is helpful for you if you're going to be a boss. (laughs) Be a boss, okay. Um, Well, it says, first of all, Stop your threatening. So that was a common thing these masters did. They threatened. Um, They're threatening maybe physical violence. Maybe they're threatening um, deprivation, which is like, I'm not going to feed you for three days if this doesn't get done. This is common, right? Some of them, right, you could imagine, probably threatened some kind of sexual exploitation too, right? Um, Some really nasty things. So he says, you know what? Hey, masters, stop your threatening. I want you to imagine what is a slave in a master's relationship without threatening. It doesn't really feel like a master and slave anymore. I think that's the point. Many people point to this one verse, first, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, as like, this is the reason why slavery in the West fell, because you can't really do this very well. The, the, the master-slave relationship doesn't really work very well without threatening. Because you talk to a good master, they'll tell you, okay, here's how you get the best work out of your employees. You threaten. Not your employees, but your slaves. You threaten, uh, and that's how you get the best work. The institution of slavery doesn't really work very well with Ephesians 6, 9. So many people say Paul is literally undercutting the whole institution simply by sharing this command from God. It's just interesting. Uh, perhaps that's true. But the point is, uh, if you're in authority, don't misuse your authority. Uh, my first subpoint here, letter A, is never abuse your authority. Never abuse your authority. Never take the authority God's given you and say, great, now that I'm in charge, everyone works for me, now I'm going to, you know, gain off of their um, unjust type of suffering. That doesn't mean you can't be a boss, right? Abusing authority does not mean telling your workers, hey, I need to get this done, let's get it done. That's not abusing your authority. Threatening, and maybe saying, you're going to lose your job if you can't do X, Y, and Z right now. Maybe that is threatening. Again, we have a very different system, so our threats are not really, you know, they don't, even if you're a boss, even if you're a a very strong-willed in a very powerful situation, uh, your threats probably don't carry nearly the weight that these slave owners' threats could. Um, But still, it's a good principle. You don't want to abuse your authority. Don't exploit your workers. Don't mistreat them. For Christian masters, physical torture, deprivation, sexual exploitation, that was all off the table now. If they're Christian masters, they can't do that anymore. John Calvin, famous pastor and preacher in the 1500s, wrote about this text. Impunity is the mother of licentiousness. Here's what that means. Impunity means that you can't get in trouble. When you can't get in trouble and you're untouchable, that's the mother, which means that's what's going to create licentiousness, all types of sin. Translation for that. When you know that you can get away with something, and that no one can catch you, and that no one will punish you, you will do everything you want, and it's probably going to be very sinful. That's what was going on. So he says, look, 
There's no impunity for you. You are going to get caught. You do wrong. God is watching. I mean, think about what he says next. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no partiality with him. Right? Uh, Jesus is their master too. You're, you're Christian slaves. So just know you treat them wrongly. They have a defender. They have an avenger who will come after you if you put yourself in a situation of abusing that authority. Back in the day, right, these slaves had no defenders. The closest thing they had to their defender was their, their master, right? There was no one to tell the master no. There was, they didn't have that. In fact, under Roman law, slave owners could do almost anything. If you, if you had a slave, you can do anything you wanted. Complete protection under Roman law, just about. It was scary to exist in that situation. Just remember... For these Christians, who many of them had a scary situation, remember Jesus will defend his people. So uh, letter B, when you work as the authority, just remember Jesus will defend his people. And if he has to point his guns at you, because you get on the wrong side of his people, well, then just know that's what's going to have to happen. He sees all, he will judge all. When you are treated unfairly at work, do you know that Jesus sees it, knows it, and will take care of it? And there's no partiality with him. God's not impressed. Here's the idea. God is not impressed at your boss and all of his stuff. God doesn't look at your boss and say, oh man, this guy's rich. Ooh, I gotta change my tune with him. Doesn't matter to God. He sees purely. John Calvin also said about this passage, the world sets little value on the labor of slaves, but God esteems them as highly as the duty of kings. That's how God looks at this. And that's a great way of putting it. Right? The world doesn't care about you as a high school student. doesn't care about you writing a paper. doesn't care about you mopping the floors at your fast food restaurant because some kid threw up. The world doesn't care about that. They're going to look at that as a low job. And you might even look at that as a low job. But here's, here's the idea. You know, God views that with the same dignity for your decision-making as, as the president deciding what to do next or as a governor or as a CEO deciding what to do with the company. He cares about your work just as much as theirs because there's no partiality with him. Reminds me, when you go pick up the, the kids from the, the toddler classroom, I just saw this today. Um, Eden and Judah and Micah and all of them are in the Congress of Babies. If you ever work in that... Um, Basically what that means is it's like these two little semicircles and the, the children sit there and it looks like they're, you know, from Star Wars or something and they're deliberating what plant to blow up next, right? That's kind of the, the vibe. Um, now I don't think they're having so many intelligent conversations with that, but that's kind of what it looks like. I always laugh and I even said to say, oh, the Congress of Babies, they're adjourning right now. All their parents are showing up. Uh, but when you show up, it's funny because once a kid sees that their parent's there, they start acting different, right? Right? Uh, and you know this if you work in the nursery. Once there's this like recognition of, oh, mom and dad are here, they'll, they'll probably stop beating on kid A or B, not that they were before, but like if they were, it's like, oh, oh, hey, hey, mom. Uh, and then they come running over, right? Um, and they're trying to like, you know, get in good with mom or dad who's showing up because they don't want to get in trouble. Uh, you know, these toddlers, I just would wonder like, I wonder if like all of us parents just kind of sat there the whole time it's like a, what's that, a one-way mirror. Right? You ever seen those? Like in the, you know, the police shows, right? The police are behind it and the people that are being interrogated. The one-way mirror. I wonder what they would do because they couldn't see us. Uh, but it'd be funny if all of us parents got to, you know, 
watch what our little toddlers were doing, uh, and we'd probably take some good notes on who's the bad kid. Oh, that kid, you know, that kid knocked Eden over. Oh, I'm so mad. So I'm kind of glad I don't know, right? Because, you know, I don't want to know. Uh, but once the parent shows up, everything changes. Uh, I just want you, with your work, this week, this year, and forever, just have that attitude. Jesus is watching, because right? he's both their master and yours. You're treated poorly, Jesus is watching. He knows. You're treating others poorly, guess what? Jesus is watching. He knows. He will bring the sin to light. It's important for us to remember that. Hopefully that's an encouragement to you um, or motivation, whether you're the boss or the employee, to do what's right. So let's pray right now and ask God to help us be better workers for him. God, we're thankful that these Ephesian Christians got this letter from Paul because This is such good truth for us. I pray that we would take these principles and apply it to our situations at work or at school, on our sports teams, that we'd be respectful of our authorities, uh, knowing that all of our authorities are are sinful people other than you. We know that they'll fall short and that you will take that into account when you judge everything. I pray that we'd be found faithful and righteous. I pray that we'd suffer well, for many of us who will suffer unjustly, as 1 Peter 2 says, that we'd suffer well knowing that you suffered in our place and you suffered unjustly. You know that Jesus did that for us. I pray that we would take all of what we learned today and it'd be a strong motivation to be Christians who work hard, who work excellently for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.